Warning, this podcast contains adult content, including frank descriptions of sex, and lots and lots of swear words. Enjoy. Then, savage, reckless, drenched with rain, he saw in the first glimmer of dawn the window of Durham's room, and his heart leapt alive, and he shook and shook him to pieces. It cried, You love, and are loved. He looked round the court. It cried, You are strong, he weak and alone, won over his will. Terrified at what he must do, he caught hold of the mullion and sprang. Maurice. As he alighted, his name had been called out of dreams. The violence went out of his heart. The p- a purity that he had never imagined dwelt there instead. His friend had called him. He stood there for a moment, entranced, and then the new emotion found him. Words, and lying on his hand very gently on the pillow, he answered, Clive. No. That was very sweet. It's very romantic. Um, uh, but I have to interrupt you, Claire. You're done now. What? We no, I have so much more to read. No, we have now to. Now I'm do going a- to get on to this next section. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> she is definitely like, picking up the book again and doing the little ha 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 shoulders. You know exactly what I mean when I say ha 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 shoulders. Uh, Claire, we have to do our podcast. <gasps> our podcast. Our podcast. Ooh. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Claire. And this is FMK Lit. Where we read two romance novels. A straight one and a queer one. And then we play Fuck, Mary Kill with the characters. We certainly do. Also, all the spoilers. So many spoilers. So many spoilers. If you don't like spoilers, just go read the book and then come and listen to us. And we will say our opinions at you. You can say yours back at us as much as you want. Yeah, absolutely. But we're still going to tell you everything that we think we deserve to tell you in this podcast uh-huh. everything you gotta know about these books we're gonna tell you yes 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 so claire what books did we read what books indeed uh well this time we read uh maurice by em forrester and persuasion by jane austen so it was the theum classics 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 the theme was classics because right. we didn't do a Christine guess with this one. I feel like I was just like, we're going to read classic ones. <laughs> yeah. So that's the th- classic ones is the theme. Yeah. Yeah. Great. 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 Um, before we get into these classics, though, Claire, mm-hmm. what has got you hot and bothered? Diapers. Oh, OK. <laughs> sure. Um, let me just say. So this just appeared on Instagram today. Uh-huh. So if anybody is like wondering exactly what day it is that we record this, now you know. I'm sure there are people who plot meticulously every reference we ever make to know exactly when we record each episode. Well, I mean, I feel like there's going to be aliens in the future who are going through the archives of everything that's been recorded through human history, Uh and they're going to stumble upon our podcast. There's going to be an alien who is assigned to specifically just listening to and transcribing our podcast. Poor, poor bastard. And also like doing an entire history on it. And (laughs) so sometimes we have to, for that future alien, we sometimes have to mark time Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and 
he's going to have to go talk to whatever alien is working on the Instagram feed to see how this works, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I love this world you've constructed, and I imagine they're all glycerins. All of them are glycerins. One male has to tell the other male about the Instagram feed. Anyway, tell me about diapers, I guess. So Goop put up a post. Oh, no. <laughs> nope. Great. Love it. Hate it. Um, this is this whole speech is about to take you on a roller coaster, Neil. So Goop put up a post for a diaper that is $120 for 12 Oh, my God. It is. Uh, it's got jewel clasps. Uh-huh. It has like... Um, velvet on the outside. It's got a G embroidered on the front. Like, and it is presented in the middle of the still life so that it looks almost like, like a Dutch painter painted this glorious Mm -hmm. diaper. Um, there is comfort strips around the sides where the legs go through all kinds of things. And a lot of people freaked the fuck out when they saw that. Um, and were very upset and I think rightly so. But Goop is not actually selling this diaper. It is part of them talking about how, uh, about Gwyneth Paltrow's newest cause, which is why are we taxing diapers? Diapers are not a luxury item. Oh. And so she used her platform, which is a luxury, pl- luxury uh-huh. items platform, uh, to showcase what a luxury diaper would look like uh-huh. and that it would be reasonable to tax that diaper. <laughs> but that in fact, typing, uh, taxing any diapers at all is unreasonable because they are necessary. I'm actually kind of on board now. I know. Like, and so I was like, <laughs> I told you roller coaster ride. And Sheer I think this is, coaster. this is one of the first times goop has ever done something where I've been like, on board. Mm -hmm. And like the other thing that they're talking about a lot, and you talked about this as well earlier when, before we were recording. So our listeners have no idea what you said and maybe I'll keep them in suspense a little longer. No, no, I won't. Um, about the formula, um, like that we're, there's a, we don't have enough formula right now. Mm-hmm. There's a shortage of baby formula. There's a shortage of formula. So in the midst of there being a shortage of baby formula, Goop comes out with this, you know, overly priced diaper. And so everybody's freaking the fuck out mm. talking about it. But so the uh, Goop hasn't made an official, official statement yet that this is all kind of a joke, but it will soon because Gwyneth Paltrow has been talking about this. She did an op-ed for the observer or somebody. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. And so it's all going to come out in the wash, so to speak. But, um, but anyway, so all this kind of stuff is coming up about diapers. And it's the first time that I've ever seen goop do anything that I was like on board with mm-hmm. and kind of proud of them for. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and also felt like this is genuinely a good cause celebrity. Like sometimes I feel like celebrities are behind really dumb causes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or causes that are too broad to ever be fixed mm-hmm. like i hate when a celebrity is like no more war look i agree but like how do you fundraise for that <laughs> 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 but this feels like a cause that you could actually genuinely advocate for and mm-hmm. actually get action on mm-hmm. and so i'm on board i'm 100 on board yeah and i think it works because it's 
Goop not giving any kind of medical advice or claims. Right. <laughs> oh, they're still telling you to stick jade eggs up your woo-wah. Don't do it. Jade is very don't, porous. Don't do it. It was bad for you. Oof. You actually really shouldn't stick anything up there about, except the things that are supposed to be up there. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 And, you know... Dildos have come a long way, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> There's some very good ones out there that are set up so that they don't infect you. <laughs> but uh, not a jade egg. <laughs> nope. Don't do it. Anyway. Anyway. Diapers. <laughs> Goopy diapers. We'll post something in the link below so you can see it, too. It's kind of incredible and insane and amazing. <laughs> Neil, yes. what has got you hot and bothered? Well, I have another rant from the apps <gasps> that, listeners, I've already subjected Claire to this rant, so apologies, Claire, but... I'm, I'm up for it. I feel like there's still actually a little bit that I didn't hear, because mm-hmm. some of this happened on one day of the weekend, and I think more of it might have happened on, on the rest of the day. We'll find out. <gasps> ah! Okay, so picture it it is a friday evening this was like last week a friday evening and uh both of my roommates were out of town for the weekend i was like oh you know i am a an eligible bachelor with an apartment to myself for the evening maybe i'll invite over a gentleman caller and there's this guy that I've been talking to on the apps for a while that we have tried to hang out and it just like hasn't worked out. The timing hasn't been great, whatever. So when I had an idea of when I would be home that evening, I messaged him. I was like, hey, would you want to come over tonight? And he's like, sure. And I was like, great. When are you free? He's like, you're hosting. So you name the time. I'm like, okay, how about? 7 30 and it's like oh actually i'm meeting friends for drinks could it be 8 30 that was red flag number one not that he was busy but if somebody's like oh yeah you tell me you you name the time oh actually i'm not free just fucking say that anyway yeah you name the time makes me feel like oh i'm actually open now yeah and open until midnight until tomorrow morning yeah so 8 30 comes and goes so that like close to nine, I messaged him. I was like, hey, did you still want to come over? And he responds with, hey. And then doesn't say anything for a long time. And then at like, um, I'm scrolling through the receipts right here. Um, at about close to 11, he's like, oh, hey, sorry. I was out with friends. Um, did you still want to hang out? I was like, sure. And he was like, okay, I just need to, I need to run home and I need to take care of a couple things and then I'll head over. What's your address? And I was like, oh, well, just like, give me a couple of minutes. I need to like tidy my room a bit, et cetera, et cetera. And then over the next like half hour, he just became really insistent just like, oh, what's your address and blah, blah, blah. And this is the, and like, this is what I'm in the mood for tonight, which is, that's fine. But I'm like, okay, great. Yeah, sure. And then he would like say it five minutes later. I'm like, yeah, we already, he said that. Sure. Whatever. It's fine. So red flag number two, and I was just like, I'm sure it's fine. Whatever. Um, so then finally at about, 
11-ish. She's like, oh, I should be there in half an hour. And I'm like, sure. And then we continue to uh, discuss expectations for the evening, which is perfectly fine. I think that's great. Sort of like, this is what I'm in the mood for tonight. Oh, this is what I'm in the mood for tonight. And like, sort of like, ooh, what kind of underwear are you wearing? Ooh, you know, just getting us all ready for for what's about to happen. Um, and then I was like, oh, I asked him a question and he said, no, should I do that next time? I said, yeah, next time. And he responded with, you think a lot. And then I was like, oh, I don't know what that means. So I asked another question and he's like, here we go again. And I responded with question mark. And this is after he'd already ordered the Uber. He said, I canceled Uber. You think a lot next time. Sorry. And I said, what? And he said, we chatted about it before. Lol. And I said, whatever, have a good night. So he was already like on his way over and then said, you think a lot. I canceled the Uber. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Sure, whatever. Now we can go back to playing video games. That's fine. So then the next morning, he texts me, morning, sorry, I worked today. That's why I was being a little rushed last night. Up since five. Ha ha. I'm available tonight. If you want to hang out, let me know. And then inside of my head, I said, well, fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. The yeah, sheer, I don't understand. The sheer audacity to be like, oh, this sort of negotiation or whatever is taking too long. Or I realized how long it's actually going to take me to get there in via Uber. And that's too long. And then to not say, I'm sorry, like, listen, I know we said that this was happening, but I just realized how late it is. I have to be up at 5 a.m. tomorrow. I'm really sorry. Can we reschedule? And yeah, I would have been annoyed, but I also would have been like, yeah, that's a perfectly legitimate reason not to go over to somebody's house at 11 o'clock at night if you have to be awake at 5 a.m. Sure. But the sheer audacity to be like, to try and turn it around on me to make it my fault that he wasn't that, that we shouldn't meet that night when obviously he had things to do. I, and I said, you could have just said that. And he said, sorry about that. How's your morning going on? Are you available tonight? And this is when poor Claire had to listen to me go on this rant as we were driving, um, home from picking up provisions at the Trader Joe's on our way to record a very special thing that's showing up on our Patreon in the not too distant future that I can't talk about. So you'll have to subscribe to our Patreon to find out what it is. But just like part of me, of course, was just like, I just need to let it go because it's just some random asshole on the internet, whatever. And another part of me was like, no, no, unacceptable. We like, if nobody says anything, he's just going to continue this shitty behavior of like, not wanting to look like the asshole so he's gaslighting someone into thinking it's their fault that he's not coming over could not stand uh i had joked about with claire that this is my superhero origin story and i now am a superhero who just like finds assholes on the internet and calls them out for their shitty behavior my superhero name is nah girl <laughs> nah girl nah girl um so then I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. 
So I responded to him. I said, listen, you flaked on me twice last night and tried to make it seem like it was something I did when really you were pressed for time. And that's pretty shitty. So I'm good. Good luck out there. Good luck out there. And he said, I don't flake. I'm not flaky person. Ha ha. That's exactly exactly. No, no. I mean, like, even if nothing else happened, that was exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Absolutely flaked out. I don't understand what you think too much about in this situation. What about the, the, the negotiation? Which all sounds like, I'm sorry, this negotiation also sounded like half sexy talk. Yeah, that's usually. Okay, so that's the thing. That's how the queers do it. The negotiation is also sexy talk so that the consent is sexy. Right. Everyone try it. That's a great idea. Anyway, so the next time someone looks at you and says, oh my God, how are you still single? You look them straight in the eye and you say, well, Becky, I'm still single because dating is being hurdled through an endless obstacle course populated by an infinite number of human shaped trash goblins. And it's fucking exhausting. Becky, that's how I'm still single. That whole thing is going on our shirt. Thank you. That's our merch. That's and so that's what's got me hot and bothered. It's like, and I knew, I knew as soon as I was like, I'm gonna t- call him out on his shitty behavior. He's gonna deny it, and just like not realize how shitty his behavior was. Anyway, that's all I got to say about that. Oh my god. Oh my god. I'm so sorry. Uh... Like, what? Ex- and then to, like, the next day, just be like, nothing happened yesterday. Yeah. You're like, oh, sorry, I was busy. Just, uh, what? Whatever. Anyway. I feel like if I did that, if I did something like that to somebody where I completely, like, bounced out after we'd been talking, mm-hmm. I would have started with a, hey, so sorry about last night. I feel like I owe you. Mm-hmm a brunch are you available it's totally okay if you're not i'm still up for fun times that we talked about i will host do you know what would have been better is still shitty but would have been better if he just ghosted me for the rest of the night and then responded the next day it was like listen i'm really sorry i was i didn't realize how tired i was i had to get up early i fell asleep blah, blah, blah. like that's shitty don't do that but, but that's, that's still better that, than like blaming me for it right exactly or Ugh. say i i fucking drank too much and i passed out like yeah. i drank too much and got distracted i'm an asshole but definitely not like oh that fun time we almost had but didn't it's your fault that it didn't happen not me who was in control of the entire situation human-shaped trash goblins that's just Anyway, let's talk about books. Let's talk about books, baby. Let's talk about you and me. We don't have the rights. No, we don't have the rights. Oh, but then it's a parody, right? If we change the words? I mean, barely. (laughs) Plus, we we aren't hitting the notes, so it's fine. (laughs) Oh, it's okay to do a whole song as long as we don't hit any of the notes. As long as you (laughs) sing it all badly. Goodness. Persuasion by Jane Austen. Seven years ago, Anne Elliot broke off her engagement to Captain Frederick Wentworth, convinced that marrying a man without money or status would be a grave mistake. Now she's past her prime and single at 27. But when the estranged paramours reconnect through a couple renting the Elliot family estate and discovers she may have another shot at romance, 
this time on her terms. Part fairy tale, part social commentary, Jane Austen's novel delivers not only her signature warmth and wit, but perhaps her most mature and relatable heroine. Persuasion remains true to Austen's form in being ahead of its time, arguing that where there is love, there is happiness, even in the most impractical of unions. Um, that's, and then there's more, but it's just about this particular edition. So Claire, yeah, that's what this book says it's about. What is this book actually about? Yeah, that's what that book is about. Okay, the end. <laughs> Done. What a good podcast. <laughs> <laughs> People write novels about this. Be like, yeah, the back of the book says what the novel's about. The end. I think what I love is that because there's so many editions of Jane Austen, because anybody can print a Jane Austen book now. Like, um, mine is different, but it's the same. You know, like, Anne Elliot seems to have given up on present happiness and resigned herself to living off her memories. More than seven years earlier, she complied with duty, persuaded to view the match as imprudent and improper. She broke off her engagement with a naval captain with no fortune, ancestry, or prospects. However, when the peacetime arrives and brings the Navy home, and Anne encounters Captain Wentworth once more, she starts to believe in second chances. I mean, that's an insanely long sentence at the end for a synopsis, but yes. Well... <laughs> I just have to say, some of the sentences in this book are way too long. Yes, but I mean, also... Can I read one? Yes. <laughs> I mean, also, like, allow for the, the style of the period, yes. which also includes, oh, what a tiny world this is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, everybody must know each other all the time. No yeah. new characters. No new characters can ever come into anybody's <laughs> life. They must be everybody we've already ever known. And this is true of everything. Like Scarlet Pimpernel, even, which is all about, mm-hmm. like, a guy coming in, like... I kind of... I mean, I buy it, though. Because it's like, oh, we're all of the same social class, so obviously everybody knows everybody else, at least through, like, two or three degrees. Oh, no, for sure. But also, um, I mean you meet new people in your life all the time. And so this is like, well, Claire, we are not of the gentry. So we're allowed to meet new people. (laughs) True. True. (laughs) We don't have to go through seven degrees of like introduction before we actually see each other face to face. We don't have to consider marrying our cousins. True. Uh, Okay. I'd like to read the sentence. (laughs) In mind, this is one sentence. He had been in Bath about a fortnight. He had passed through Bath in November in his way to London, when the intelligence of Sir Walter's being settled there had of course reached him, though only twenty-four hours in the place, but he had not been able to avail himself of it. But when he had now been a fortnight in Bath, and his first object on arriving had been to leave his card in Camden Place, following it up by such assiduous endeavors to meet, and when they did meet, by such great openness of conduct, such readiness to apologize for the past, such solicitude to be received as a relation again, that their former good understanding was completely re-established. Ah, oh, that is a marathon. <laughs> so, I mean, to to Jane Austen's credit, there are some parentheses in there that make it a little easier. It's a very long <laughs> sentence. I I I did enjoy this book. I just wanted to like I had I like highlighted that sentence. I'm like the sentence is too long, and you brought it up, so I had to read it. Excellent. Well done. Well done. <laughs> So yes, yeah, so this book is about a young woman named Anne Elliot who is twenty-seven. Poor, poor, long-suffering Anne, surrounded oh my God. by 
the war idiots and assholes (laughs) (laughs) you said that so properly and i was like idiots and assholes assholes. (laughs) bitches and hoes like her family is the (sighs) fucking worst fucking worst so immediate family her extended family family. her brother-in-law um charles musgrove Mm -hmm. one of the 600 charleses (laughs) he was perfectly lovely he was great. But, he was oh my fabulous. God, her dad and her sisters and the governess, Lady Russell, they were the fucking worst. Well, Lady Russell, uh, she's a family friend, so she's not a governess. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she 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 took on the role of adoptive mother, mother. after yeah. the mother passed away. So right. she's in charge of deciding and is, what's best for the girls and their marriages etc yes and she's absolutely like the reason for what is going on in this story <sighs> because seven years ago a young man was in the neighborhood and he was courting our miss ann elliott <laughs> so um captain wentworth and ann were like in it right away and i think the way their love is described is is wonderful like they were just best friends right away Mm -hmm. that they talked all the time and they talked about everything Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. and they they didn't feel the same about everything Mm -hmm. but where they didn't feel the same they felt like a companionship to keep talking Mm -hmm. about it and what i like too um looking ahead when he shows up again and uh, and does everything in her power to avoid him which is perfectly understandable but when other people meet him and they talk about him they're like he's the nicest guy like, everybody likes him. So it's like, oh, yeah, he seems like a really nice guy. Oh, no, no. Captain Wentworth is perfect. He is Captain inhuman. Captain Frederick Wentworth. Frederick. I mean, and he's not perfect. He's He's got a very big flaw in, mm-hmm. a, in a really interesting way. And but, he's not named Charles. And he's not named Charles. He's the only man in this book who is not named Charles. Except for the Walters. There's three of those. <laughs> so, or two of those. There's decidedly two of those. <laughs> But so, yeah, he's, he's, he's like, no, I'm like, I know I don't have any money now. I know I don't have much family, but I will have money. I know it because I'm like a lucky man. And it's sort of like a white dude now saying like, look, I got lots of privilege. I am pretty sure I'm going to come out on top because I'm not an idiot. I'm pretty nice. And I know what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) And you going, fair enough. You're probably going to be all right. So, so, but she's persuaded by uh, Lady Russell. Russell, sorry. So she's persuaded by Lady Russell to give up the match because mm-hmm. it's imprudent because he has no family connections, he has no money at all, and he's going off to war. Like, I, I, I personally feel like a lot of Lady Russell's um, points on this make a lot of sense. Mm. That like. You shouldn't marry a guy who's just about to head off to war when mm-hmm. you don't really know who he is and he doesn't have any money and can't support you. And I feel like it kind of does play out in the narrative because everybody else, all the other couples in the narrative almost serve as um, ways for Anne to look at what her marriage could have been. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she's she meets with couple like these other military couples, these other navy couples. One is very happy but very poor. Um, the uh, well, not very poor. I'll say poor for what Anne is used to. Ben, no, um, yeah, I know who you're talking about. The Wallaces, Willises, something like that. No, no, no. The couple in Lyme. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, they're not the Wallaces or Willises. Okay. They begin with H or something. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, like the Hendrixes, but that's not it. Anyway, so they um so but they're very happy together but they're kind of struggling but it's their happiness that keeps them going but then she also sees like um young women who've lost their husbands and now they have to struggle like Mm -hmm. a whole school friend of hers Mm -hmm. it was also a love match and they did very well but it didn't mean he was smart and he wasn't lucky Mm -hmm. the way the way frederick (sighs) is I'm so excited to talk about that. Oh my God. Um, but then also we see Admiral and Mrs. Croft. Right. Who are perfect for each they're other and have done very well. And then we also see another. also have money because they're able to rent. Um, I forget what it's called. The estate. Right. Her family's. Uh, yeah. Her family's um, seat. So. And then we even see one more guy who marry who was going to marry a woman, a young woman and um he went off to war and she died before he could come back and he's very sad about it captain benwick captain benwick so and he's very sad about it so i think through these couples specifically but through a bunch of other ones Mm -hmm. as well we kind of see what her life could have been like Mm -hmm. if she had made that decision as a young woman and i think that's kind of a way for jane austen to say like um they maybe shouldn't have gotten married then Mm. like that through life experiences they're more suited for each other now Mm -hmm. but like it's it's interesting the way it it kind of the love there's love comparisons everywhere you look in this book but also this comes up like 75 percent into the book and then we'd never talk about it ever again charles musgrove her brother-in-law proposed to her first she said no. So then he she married her no. dumb, obnoxious sister. And she, fi- we, the readers, find this out because she's having dinner with his parents. And they're like, oh, we wish that Anne had said yes instead of Mary. Oh, well, let's get to her horrific family. Oh, my God. So okay. Anne's horrific family. Her father is a lord and knight mm-hmm. and uh, he's had only two daughters he's had two daughters so eventually his estate is going to pass on to the next male heir which is a cousin of theirs who's oh three daughters i apologize i just made one of his <laughs> one of his mistakes because he always forgets he has three daughters he constantly forgets his daughter mary <laughs> <laughs> like and it's funny the way he does it he's like and here's my youngest daughter Anne, and Anne thinks I mean, there's Mary, (laughs) but okay. Okay. (laughs) Like she literally says that she's like, dad, (laughs) there's another daughter. (laughs) It's because she's not standing here. (laughs) Well, it also, so he prizes most above all other things, beauty Mm -hmm. and the idea of beauty. He also social standing is next in line. Mm -hmm. And then after that is money. (laughs) <laughs> like and then after that is niceness <laughs> but only if like they're nice to him he doesn't really care about niceness in general <laughs> and so the first thing out of his mouth is always about how people look mm-hmm. and then the most interesting part about this book i think is his oldest daughter elizabeth is older than anne she's 30 mm-hmm. And there is no talk about her being like an old maid or anything like that. She is picky. And that is how she is referred to as like, she's like, oh, no to that guy. 
no to that guy and and her father's just like yeah yeah you got to choose. You got to be careful with that choice. <laughs> and and nobody is like calling her an old maid. Mm-hmm. Nobody says that. Well, I think because they met her and they don't expect her to ever get married because she's right. not a good person. She's not a good person. And she is gorgeous. She's described mm-hmm. by everybody as being absolutely beautiful. Which is why she's the favorite. Which is why she's the favorite. And then there's Anne, who was beautiful at one time and then had this heartbreak with you know like she turned down this man that she truly did love and was like fuck that was a mistake Mm -hmm. and worse it was a secret like they hadn't actually gotten officially engaged and nobody else in her family knew about it the only person who knew about it was lady russell Mm -hmm. and that was it so it's like this secret pain that she can't tell anybody about she can't share with anybody they would have listened anyway they wouldn't, but that's, I think, part of what makes her older. Mm-hmm. And like, and she's such a solid person who's really nice. <laughs> and then there's Mary, oh, who, God. Uh, who is constantly complaining about being sick. One of my favorite lines in this, she's writing a letter to, to Anne, and she's like, oh, there's some sort of so- sore throat going around. And you know that when I get sore throats, I get sore throats worse than anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> And, and Anne comes over and she's so sick. And by the end of the conversation, she's like, so should we go for a little walk? And Anne's like, I thought you were sick. No. No, she's not. Mary's such a brat. Oh, my God. Like, oh my God. There's like another time, like Mary's son falls out of a tree mm-hmm. and like breaks his collarbone. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of, it is horrific. And Mary is like, oh, my God, I can't go to the party. My son is sick. What am I to do? Which is perfectly reasonable. But then it's followed by to go to the party it's so unfair that i have to stay here no one knows what it's like to be a mother but me <laughs> and what good can i even do i'm not a doctor i'm not, like, I'm not a nurse I'm not a, there's no real reason for me to be here other than the, it's expected but i want to go to the party and then Anne's like i'll stay which she wants to stay because because she doesn't want to see captain frederick who's <sighs> back in town (laughs) and she's like anything to get out of that but also i'm very worried about this young man but also anything to get out of that yeah i i do love that the first like half of this book is her subtly scheming to do anything in her power to not have to see him again anything and like she's just like freaking the fuck out about Mm -hmm. it which makes like their initial meeting so she's carrying she's caring for the sick child who'd fallen out of the tree who does seem in general to be really having a hard time Mm -hmm. (laughs) she's caring for the kid all the family's about to go out hunting except for her and then captain wentworth who just thinks everybody's in the house walks in and he's like practically he's like oh shit (laughs) and she's like "Ah!" (laughs) (laughs) but like of course it's jane austen so it actually just means they start and then they look at each other and are like hello hello and then and then it's all over the sisters walk in and there's nothing else to worry about and there's like motions happening and Mm -hmm. and anna's like it's over the the horrible thing is over i can move on with my life now it's fine and actually i think she kind of does like 
I think from there we. I mean, she's never over him. I'm, right, I'm never. He, I'm not going that far because he keeps showing up. Because he seems, but also like because she truly loves him, mm-hmm. and with good reason. He does seem yeah. to be like a really nice, congenial guy. Mm-hmm. He is very warm and caring. He wants to get married, so, um, so Mary is of course married to Charles. <laughs> number one (laughs) (laughs) the first charles um and his family's amazing Mm -hmm. his family's super sweet they're so much fun they absolutely they love all of their children dearly Mm -hmm. and they're they're great and and so like she loves going over except for the dead son Oh, right. The dead son was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, that kid's the worst. It's like your son's dead. And they're like, well, but look at all these other kids we still have. Well, what's so funny about that section is because he was in the Navy and he actually worked for Captain Wentworth at one Mm. point. And so the mom is just in all a titter because she wants to bring up her son to Captain Wentworth, but she doesn't know how. And so we hear a lot about him before she even is able to bring him up. But Anne recollects that while the son was alive, nobody liked him. Nobody thought about him. Everybody was super happy when he got into the Navy and left. And they were just like, oh, thank God. (laughs) And they're like, maybe he'll make something of himself or maybe he'll just be out of our goddamn hair. (laughs) And like, they would write each other letters, but it would just be mostly like, are you still on this one ship? No, I'm on this ship now. Okay, great, whatever. (laughs) It was just like real short letters. Great, don't come home. But then he died. But then he died. And then the mom now was free to love the idea of having had a son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if he was there in flesh, she wasn't going to love him. But, like, she she gets to love the idea of him. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's brought up often, which is really to good comedic jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, after, so after that initial meeting, though, with Captain Wentworth, she overhears... Um, somebody talking about what he had said about her, mm-hmm. which is he would not even have recognized her. Like it's been so many years and she's so changed mm-hmm. and it just breaks her heart. Cause she already feels really old and ugly mm-hmm. <laughs> and she knows like the bloom is gone and her, cause her dad says it all the goddamn time. So like her dad and her sister are always talking about how ugly she is or, Mm -hmm. you know, and she doesn't have anybody to confide in except Lady Russell. And Lady Russell's like um, a a pretty good mom. No. But she's not like good for... She's the worst. Those sorts of things. And so... Because when... um, Because jumping ahead a little bit, uh, Charles, our first Charles, has two sisters. And they're, of course, like taken with captain wentworth immediately and he kind of pays attention to one of them he and louisa it like seems like they're gonna be a thing and then when uh Anne mentions this to lady russell lady russell has this moment of this like self-satisfaction of like oh well then certainly i was right to have persuaded her not to to marry him if he's so easily you know like swayed by louisa or whatever like she she'd rather be right than see Anne happy yes and she's the worst yeah no that's i mean and so Anne doesn't have anybody really to like confide in um and one of my very favorite parts of any um any jane austen book is the romance of sisterly love or like best friend love Mm -hmm. and just like how important that is to your character as a person Mm -hmm. to have that other person yeah who 
you talk to. I mean, like in Pride and Prejudice, a lot of things that went wrong could have not gone wrong if if the main character just remembers her sisterly love. Hmm. And so, like, and that's brought up. And I think in Emma, one of my favorite parts is, you know, she learns how to be a better person after like trying to fix this girl and realizing that's not somebody's place in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not what she should have done. And like all these women that she misses in her life, like it's just lovely. And so here's poor Anne and she doesn't have that at all. And we see that like, even among like these in-laws, they're great, but they're not her family. Mm-hmm. And every, and even that family just treats her as a go between for like some other problem like she's just a sounding board for their problems she's also she's overlooked in a lot of ways there's one point that i thought was really funny where they were like having an evening at the at the manor house because the uh her sister and the first charles live in the cottage associated with his parents manor house that he will one day inherit um and they're like having a night together and then like Anne is a very good pianist, but she only gets to play when Louise and Henrietta, who are not as good, are tired. And it's and nobody listens to Anne playing. It's just so there's noise in the background. And it's like, well, yeah, because there's nobody. She doesn't have anybody who, like, will pretend to be excited because sh- she's their daughter to listen to their playing. And it's just like, oh, poor... And but then also I got a good sense, especially when she ends up in Bath a little bit, that she kind of likes being with this this family because yeah, she has to deal with Mary, but a lot of times people just kind of like leave her alone, which is nothing new. But then also where they live is very pretty, so when she has to leave eventually to go to Bath, she's like, oh my God, I don't want to leave because this place is really pretty, and people just leave me the fuck alone. Like they're friendly to me, and then they leave me alone, and that's all I want. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, she's so put upon. But so when they are, yeah, they're at the, the manor house and they're having a pretty good time. Captain Wentworth is like wooing one of the daughters because another daughter has, you know, met with a farmer cousin who they've always, you know, who's a little bit below them stature wise, mm-hmm. but very much in love. So Captain Wentworth is putting all of his ambitions into marrying Louisa, if that's going to happen. So they're definitely wooing each other. And he's gotten word that one of his sailor friends is in Lyme. And he's like, we got to go to Lyme. And so everybody's like, let's go to Lyme. Let's go go to Lyme. So to a seaside vacation, which is actually, it sounds like it's only a couple miles down the road. (laughs) Yeah, I was um, looking at a map and it's, it's like an afternoon in the carriage or something like that. Well, that's kind of what they said. They're like, they thought they could make a day trip of it, Mm -hmm. but then they'd spend the whole time in the carriage and that would be useless. Mm -hmm. So they might as well spend a lot longer there. Yeah. So they go and they meet the friends who are delightful Uh and wonderful. And Captain Um, Benwick. And Captain Benwick is there because the friend's sister was engaged to him mm-hmm. and she died and yeah. now he's so sad he's so sad but then he and Anne talk about books and, and, and they're they so love, they're they're like they have really nice conversations with each other and he's one of the only people so far at this point in the book that he's actually interested in her opinion about something right so this is when one of my favorite things in the book happens one 
a good, nice, handsome man is paying good attention to Anne. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about things that she likes. She's getting to do walks that she actually likes and she doesn't have to go for it. They're not very long walks. Mm -hmm. She doesn't like a long walk because she obviously doesn't eat very well. But... (laughs) But like, (laughs) (laughs) she gets tired. Soup's easy. (laughs) So tired. But so she's getting attention from a nice man. Mm -hmm. She's talking about things she likes. She's going on lovely walks. The sea air, which everybody in San Francisco is gorgeous, like you and I are. So obviously the sea air does wonders for our skin, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as we all know. So she's looking hot Mm -hmm. and she's like feeling herself <laughs> i'm feeling myself and like she doesn't even like it's it doesn't even hurt her to see captain wentworth with louisa she's just like okay that's a foregone conclusion i guess i gotta get over it i mean it hurts but i'll deal but look how rosy my complexion has suddenly become i know she's just like all right and when that's happening a handsome man passes by her one day and he gives her the up and down uh-huh. and she's like fuck yeah (laughs) like straight up she's like oh i see you seeing me (laughs) and then like they meet again like at the at the hotel Mm -hmm. and i mean it's not a hotel but it's a hotel and the rooming the the rooming house or whatever and he sees her again and they have a little chat and she's like oh hey and he's like hey Uh and she's like oh my god i am really doing great right now (laughs) he's like i gotta go but i'll like see you around i guess and she's like yeah you will and then they and that's when they see him get into his carriage and realize he's their cousin walter (sighs) elliott who is going to be inheriting uh the title and the estate Mm -hmm. and she's like oh shit but it's a point of contention because the family had a falling out yes and so they haven't spoken to him in years because he married badly Mm -hmm. outside for for money instead of marrying elizabeth who is the oldest daughter of the Mm -hmm. elliots which they hoped they would so that they could keep the title all among the elliots blah 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 cousin marriage gross 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 there's a point jumping ahead that he is talking to his cousin and says anna elliot i hope to i hope to basically like i hope to arrange it so that you never have to change your last name because he wants to marry her because they have the same last name because they're cousins yes but that's i love that part because she's like at least i think that's what he said she at that point was like listening to conversations someone else was having (laughs) she's like Uh, she couldn't even attend to this man practically asking her to marry him (laughs) yeah also shortly after uh she gets the old once over from her cousin it's when louisa just stops working okay this is great so so do this she just is broken um this is a case of nobody knows medical stuff and she no. fell of plot she- <laughs> She she came down with a terrible case of plot. Terrible case of plot. So even Captain Wentworth notices that Anne's looking pretty good, mm-hmm. and he spares her a couple of looks, and she's good enough in her head to go, yeah, look what you missed out at, buddy. <laughs> like, she's 
she's of course very nice and she doesn't say right, that right, in her because head because she's but... also the whole time also aware that like he did ask her and she allowed herself to be persuaded to say no right but she's also happy that he's noticing that she yeah. looks good oh yeah <laughs> so they're going down these big steps um and i think one of the adaptations of this actually did film it on pretty much the steps that jane austen is talking about and mm-hmm. they are substantial oh okay so um they're probably terribly uneven different oh, sizes and yeah it's 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 a very awkward thing Ooh. so Louisa keeps having Captain Wentworth jump her down, which basically means he grabs her waist and sort of like thrusts her up into the air like a dancer's jump and then puts her on the ground. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's you know, he gets to touch her waist mm-hmm. and Louisa's down for that. Mm-hmm. And Captain Wentworth is obviously also super down for that. Right. And now what you can also do is practically jump into somebody's arms. So mm-hmm. if you're a little bit higher... Like, you can just jump into their arms a little, and then they can set you down. Which is also Trey romantic. Mm-hmm. So Louisa goes to a very high part of the wall. <laughs> and is like, catch me, catch me! And he's like, um, I don't feel as comfortable about this. And he's, he's like, it's too and high. She's like, too and she's light. like, yeah, pretty much. And he misses her. And she just collapses in a heap. She, she collapses in a heap into a, into what Jane Austen didn't understand to be a coma. <laughs> <laughs> Even though they went out of their way to like say that she hadn't hit her head or anything. Yeah. So like it's very uh, medical unknown. She's, she's a lady. Her uterus got too excited. So her system just turned off. Yeah, yeah, there's a little shut-off button at the bottom of people's feet that nobody knows about. <laughs> and then when she hit the ground too hard, the shock just flipped that button and hit her on restart. <laughs> and so, like... It's sh- like putting the, the uh, unbent paper clip yes. through the little yeah. hole in the back of a toy or whatever. And she's just like, catch me! Yeah, uh, it seems to have happened in midair, too. I mean, it happens when she fell, but it happens in midair. It's all very confusing. And and so at this point, like, everybody freaks the fuck out. Except Anne, who's like, guys, go get a doctor! (laughs) And, like, Frederick Wentworth does not know what to do when ladies are having trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, he's he might as well have been fumbling her like somebody with Tupperware in an infomercial. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And she's like, somebody go get a doctor. And he's like, right, a doctor. And she looks at him and she's like, not you, idiot. Do you know where one is? And he goes, oh no right and benwick should go because he lives here (laughs) he knows where the doctor is also you need to pick her up we know you can pick her up because you've been doing it all day so you have to pick her up of course of course Anne is great in a crisis and of course there's an i think it was i think it was this same situation that mary was absolutely useless complete and in fact not only useless but a barrier to usefulness (laughs) (laughs) the opposite the exact opposite of you so so whereas before like Anne completely expected her to want nothing to do with this because she's not a doctor and this isn't her sister it's her sister-in-law like that she would like want to get the fuck out of here and back to her own children but instead she's like no i have to stay i have to take care of her and Anne's like she 
she's fine. There's a doctor. There's a lady who knows what she's doing. They're staying in someone else's house. We gotta get out of the way. She's like, I can't. This is my sister. And Anne's like, motherfucker. <laughs> and give her all the reasons that Mary had given previously about why she shouldn't have yeah. to stay with her own kid. She's like, there's her nothing son. you can do. Somebody else is taking care of her. Like, and she's like, no, I must stay. Because she wanted to be to play the part of being put out by oh god right so that so, she could hold it against her later and be like remember six years ago when i stayed with you when your off switch had been flipped at the beach in lime yeah yep that's exactly what she wants you know, she she keeps all of it in her back pocket and she is ready which forces uh frederick and Anne to be in a carriage together <sighs> As he drives as fast as he possibly can mm -hmm. back to Louise's home to tell her parents. Mm -hmm. And so now they have at least two hours together mm -hmm. alone. And for the most part, they say nothing because, of course, this is an emergency. And what the fuck do you say? It's <laughs> like, oh, now let's do small talk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we've read some books where. Right. But here. <laughs> Now's like, when we flirt. <laughs> Frederick is just like super upset because he thinks this is completely his fault mm -hmm. and he does not know what to do with himself and he mostly is just like wow you were really perfect back there you are the best person in a crisis ever and i am the worst and Anne's like don't say that but inside she's like mm-hmm <laughs> she's like well you're not as bad as mary but that's a really high bar yeah and then from there that's like the end of the nice vacation times mm -hmm. like that is that separates the book so louisa has to stay in line like mm -hmm. for a couple weeks maybe even a month and there's nothing for Anne to do except take care of the kids that are back there. And then really what happens is Lady Russell picks her up and takes her to Bath where her father is and her sister is. And it is this... It said from the beginning, because the whole... The impetus for this whole thing is that the family can't afford to stay in the estate anymore. So they have to rent it out. And so they're like, oh, well, where should we stay? And Anne's like... As long as it's not fucking bath. And the family's like, let's move to bath. And Anne's like, of course, of course. Yeah. Which is very much like, I guess if we could say like, let's say they had an estate in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. And Anne is like, well, you we should go anywhere except New York because New York's expensive and you are liable to spend a lot of money there on parties and social events. And they're like, Oh, you're right. We should go to New York. <laughs> <laughs> we should go to the city. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Manhattan, middle of Manhattan. Let's yeah. Let's do it. And that is, that's what happens. And so, and they, and they get like one of the best apartments in the fucking city. And Anne is like standing outside of it. And she's just like, mother. Mother. <laughs> 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 Fuck her. <laughs> and so she goes in and ends up actually having a really nice time because they've they haven't missed her so much as mm -hmm. they've missed having a fourth at dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so like, well that's great. Now we finally have a fourth at dinner. Right. But then we also find out that our Mr. Elliot who our cousin Elliot, who we used to be on the outs with as far as family has been coming around mm -hmm. and he's been hanging about. And not only that, when he walks in, like, Anne is like, oh yeah, I saw him when we were in live. And they're like, you couldn't have seen him in live. And she's like, no, 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 I did. And they're like, stop it. 
whatever weird thing you're saying, <laughs> you did not see him in Lyme. <laughs> and they're like, no, he, he looks like this. And she's like, yeah, and he looked like that in Lyme. And they're like, what are you... And what are you doing? And then, and then the best thing that could ever happen to Anne happens, wherein her cousin walks in, and and goes, and says, "Oh hi, you know, Lord Elliot. Like, oh, and it's good to see you too, Mrs. Elliot. Oh, Anne, and with like this like amazing face, like so happy to see her. And we get this moment where Anne practically says in her head, "I mean, I could have turned around and stuck my tongue out at my father and sister, but I decided to be the bigger man." <laughs> But I'm a lady. And the whole time, her cousin, who I cannot under, un, you know, underline enough, is a very handsome, very, very rich man, handsome. is like pay, giving all of his attention to Anne, mm -hmm. and like, and that just brings her up socially to her father and mm -hmm. sister. And also, Anne is looking hot because Anne's more self-possessed. Anne's had some lovely talks. Anne spent some time with some amazing people who like her mm -hmm. and have told her how wonderful she is a lot. <laughs> and the guy she was formerly in love with and had to turn down has also said nice things to her. <laughs> and she saw him be weak, which I think and she's like, yeah, no, I'm good looking. What? <laughs> but, and then she finds out that one of her dearest school friends is in Bath. Yes. She's like, oh, great. Now I have a friend to talk to. Ah. Oh, my God. I loved, I loved Mrs. Smith. I loved Mrs. Mrs. Smith. Mrs. Smith is great. But here we have to get to a part we skipped. Because who's because the person who's actually been hanging about uh, with the Elliots this whole time mm -hmm. is a Mrs. Clay. Which, it's so funny to me because, it like, the narrative was like, oh, my God, she's the fucking worst. And Anna's like, I cannot stand her. Because she's just hanging around all the time because she's one of Elizabeth's friends. She's like, I cannot stand that woman. But then every interaction they have is like perfectly cordial. I'm like, and yet the things that Mary and Elizabeth said to you. And then when Mary shows up later, she's like, she missed them terribly. And I highlighted it and said, why? Because Mary's the worst. Mary's the worst. I think, uh, I think in part because what Anne really appreciates in other people is when they say what they mean mm. and aren't duplicitous like the, the she hates when mary is being duplicitous like when she's you know obviously feigning sickness to get out of something or to get into something or whatever <laughs> mary wants to do and she finds that really annoying but there's also a part of Anne that really truly believes that mary just really super wants attention and this is the only way she knows how to get it mm -hmm. and just like her father and sister older sister like she doesn't like them she doesn't, but she also has to love them because they're her family. And at least they believe all the things they're saying. The yeah. things that the horrible things that are coming out of their mouth, at least they believe them. <laughs> Mrs. Clay is there to be a f quote unquote friend to Elizabeth, but what she really wants is to marry the senior Mr. Elliot and try to make a new baby mm -hmm. <laughs> so that she and that baby can get the fortune. Mm -hmm. And so she's a fortune hunter and everybody kind of knows it except for Elizabeth and Mr. Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so that's like something Anne is like dealing with. And it's more like, Anne's like, fucking Mrs. Clay. Like she would like Mrs. Clay just fine. If Mrs. Clay actually did just want to be Elizabeth's friend, mm -hmm. but that's obviously not what she wants. And nobody can see it but her. <laughs> so, but then she goes and visits her friend, who's 
who had a great marriage for a little bit that was hedonistic and fun. Mm-hmm. They had lots of friends, went to parties, and it was great. And then he died and left her with nothing. And she got sick immediately after. He left and, her with debt. Yes. And now she's paying off his debts. And she's got this horrible rheumatoid arthritis. Mm-hmm. And she is stuck she's inside these tiny rooms. Wheelchair bound. She basically has an Etsy shop where yep. she like makes little crafts. And she's like, oh, yeah, I go to all the rich ladies in Bath and upsell them on this shit. Yeah, like, good for you, girl. Yeah, and uh, her, she doesn't have a nurse. She sort of benefits from a nurse that lives in the rooming boards that she's in. Mm-hmm. And this nurse is a gossip. Such a gossip. And so, uh, uh, Mrs. Smith's two favorite things, which are making stuff and talking shit. <laughs> 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 and she's so excited when Anne comes over because she's like, a new person to learn shit. <laughs> Let me tell you all the gossip I know. And Anne's like, I'm down. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Girl, I'm super down. And here's where we find out <sighs> that uh, the cousin Elliot is the worst person in the world. There's this exchange where Mrs. Smith is like, oh, there's a thing that you're you're engaged to Mr. Elliot, right? And she's like, no. And Mrs. Smith's like, but you're going to be, right? And she's like, no she's like oh really because so-and-so said and so-and-so said and it's like no and mrs smith's like oh great because i got something to tell you (sighs) i was i was as that was like as that scene was happening i was so excited i was so excited in this part where (laughs) mrs smith was like i know it all i know it all and i'm like yes tell me everything oh yeah so cousin elliot one uh married his first wife specifically just to get money mm-hmm. and abused that woman mm-hmm. um he was really only friends with mrs smith's husband because he could get money out of that guy mm-hmm. but also like encouraged him to overspend mm-hmm. and um and then when he died and our lady mrs smith was sick she's like hey i think my husband has some extra money in india I kind of need you to help me get like an attorney because you're so rich now. Mm-hmm. Could you help me get an attorney so I could try to get that access to that money? And he's like, oh, I'm going to ghost you. <laughs> <laughs> and he does. He just disappears out of her life. And she's like, look, there's a good chance there is no money. But like, why would you do that (laughs) if you're my only friend left and you have access to help me why would you outright refuse and then she's like and totally honest girl honest and i was gonna do the same thing with you and but now that this is happening i'm not going to but just fyi i was totally gonna ask you for help and Anne's like i get it (laughs) yeah she's like i was gonna wait for you to get married and then ask you to ask your husband to get me this attorney or whatever and it's like Oh, no, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would do it. Yeah. (laughs) Goodness. And so, spills all the tea. At this point, too, Captain Wentworth has come to a bath. Mm -hmm. And it is obviously with the intention of talking to Anne. (laughs) Because Louise is engaged to Captain Benwick. Right, because and everyone's like, I'm so very surprised by this, and I highlighted that and said, "As am I." Anne is like surprised at first, but then she's like, 
Oh, no, wait. Louisa was bedbound. There was nobody to talk to except Benwick. And Benwick just wanted to read her love poetry. Nope, that makes sense. Yeah, but then there's so many people. It's like, oh my god, Mr. or Captain Benwick is so interesting, and he has such interesting things to say. And Louisa's a flippity gibbet. A flippity gibbet. <laughs> but she's tu- now she's turned serious after having a near death experience. Oh uh, yeah. One, which one? Uh, by the way, she keeps jumping at loud noises. I think she's actually permanently damaged. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't reboot, right? <laughs> <laughs> um but so she's with captain benwick so you know benwick's obviously no longer interested in our Anne, and Anne's like yeah that's fine nothing was gonna happen there (laughs) and then uh and and so you know wentworth knows that and he's coming to town and is sheepishly just like hanging about he he shows up at a concert where Mm -hmm. Anne is and he they have a very serious conversation about love and life and things and he's like practically looking down at his shuffling feet like practically saying so uh i mean i think would you ever be interested in maybe i don't know rekindling some things with me (laughs) but he doesn't say that he's so close to saying it and then he sees cousin elliot like spending a lot of time with Anne. And there's a lovely scene where Anne's like, okay, so let me try to translate some of this Italian for you. I'm not a great Italian scholar, but here's about kind of what's happening. And he's like, what? no, you're really good at this, Anne. I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, shut up. You're so flattery. And Wentworth is like, and he gets sad and leaves. <laughs> and then the day after that is when Anne finds out about all of Cousin Elliot's crimes and from there she pretty much she's just like so i can't marry him i can't tell anybody about this but like i have to like and then you know there's mrs clay and she's trying to get my dad and also oh what is frederick doing he's just hanging about like looking weird and sad (laughs) um finally they're all sort of because they're planning Louisa's wedding Mm -hmm. and they're all kind of like together in bath like planning that stuff out and Anne's having a lovely time. Um, and the brother of the young woman who died, who Benwick is, you know, Benwick was in love with, but, it, you know, has, you know, now he's in love with Louisa, is sad. And he's like, I don't understand it. I don't know how he could just turn over. Captain Harville. Captain Harville. It was the Harvilles, you were correct. The Harvilles. So Captain Harville's like, I just don't understand how he could not miss my sister so much. I. I missed my wife so much when I was gone. I feel like he can't really feel so deeply. And then Anne's like, you know, well, you know, I mean, I think like, you know, life happens and he had to move on. And he's like, I just, I don't know. I just feel like women don't feel as deeply. I think you don't understand what I'm saying because women don't feel as deeply. And she is like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) And she gives this beautiful speech about how, you go off to go do your war things and all we do is wait all we ever do is wait Mm -hmm. there's nothing for us to do but wait and we wait for you even beyond death we wait for you forever and this is our experience in the book too like Mm -hmm. of all the women that we've met who who maybe do fall in love again but not really like after they've had that first love and like he's he's he feels completely bad about saying that stuff about women don't feel as deeply. And he apologizes to her and he's like, okay, I was just, you know, blown off steam. Thank you so much. You're right. <laughs> I'm, he, I'm just 
I'm feeling a lot of feels. I apologize. Um, meanwhile, Captain Wentworth is listening the whole time. Mm-hmm. And he freaks out. And he's like, I gotta write this letter thing. And he's like, writing a letter as fast as he can. She's like, what the fuck is he doing over there? And he's like, spilling ink and like stuff is happening. <laughs> and and he has to, he, he folds it up and he leaves. And then he comes back. He's like, um, I forgot my gloves. He takes his gloves. And she's like, he's got his gloves. They're in his hand still. And then he points at the, a piece of paper he left. And he looks at her and he's like this. What? <laughs> this. And she's like, oh, it's secret stuff. <laughs> she's like, ooh, gossip. So... He leaves, and she opens up the letter, and it is a love letter. Can I read a little part of it? Yes, please. <laughs> he says, Dare not say that man forgets sooner than woman, that his love has an earlier death. I have loved none but you. Unjust I may have been, weak and resentful I have been, but never inconstant. It was very sweet. It is. I mean, but also he was like... We have every indication that he was like totally going to marry Louisa, so whatever. But it's fine. No, whatever. But I think like there's also like you pierce my soul. This is like that that line is in this, and it's just so lovely and just so sweet. And it's a really deep and affectionate letter. And like it kind of like if you rereading the book as i've done a couple of times like you can feel where he's avoiding her just as much as she's avoiding him mm-hmm. and that even when he's like like with louisa like he's he he's always like there's a part of him that's always kind of turned towards anne mm-hmm. that she's always present and that when the thing happens with louisa he doesn't he does feel bad about what happens to louisa he really does but he feels exceptionally bad about what's about what how how this affected anne Mm -hmm. and that's his first thought and then true to form for this book the narrative is like if anne had had fucking half an hour to like sit down and think about it she would have been okay but it it was only 10 minutes before everyone else came in like a whirlwind and she got had to deal with somebody else's shit that's always what happened whenever she's like i just need a couple of minutes to like think through what's going on and then the sisters show up and she's like well god fucking damn it it there's so funny. much noise and then and they're all a rush to get out and go do things and like she's she ends up with like her brother-in-law and they're gonna go walk somewhere and she's just like i just gotta be alone to think about things and then captain wentworth is outside mm-hmm. and he's just and he's waiting for her specifically and she's like i don't feel well and her brother-in-law is like oh do you want me to walk you back to your home and and she's like captain wentworth will <laughs> and he's like yeah he's right there yeah, i will yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll do it and then he's like oh are you sure because i mean it's really out of my way and they're like no no get the fuck out <laughs> <laughs> and they're like oh all right and they look at each other and it's just like really <laughs> really and they just love immediately and they're just like there for it and it's just immediate and there and they're supposed to go to this party tonight and he's like if you know like if 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 you're like i haven't i'm gonna marry you i want to marry you and if i if if the answer's no don't let me in tonight bar me from the house so that i can never so that i never see you again but if you say if if you let me in the doors 
I'm gonna ask your dad right away if I can marry you. And she's like, okay. <laughs> okay. And then there's the party that see, night. See, s- talking through expectations and also making it sexy talk. That's, yes. that's what yes. needs to happen all the time. And he comes to the party. I think I'm mad. Yeah, I mean, it, it ends happy. And it ends happy for all our good characters. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody who deserves a happy ending gets one. Like, Mrs. Smith gets money. She gets money. Uh, Mrs. Clay gets run out by Mr. Elliot. Mr. Elliot, the younger. He's like, I'm on to you. This is my con. Get the fuck out. She's like, uh, okay. And then he doesn't He doesn't marry any of the ladies. I mean, he's still going to get the money. Yeah. But and the like, title and the title, but Anne's happy. <laughs> Mary's happy, I guess. Yeah, Mrs. Russell is shocked <sighs> and was a little upset at first, but then she was like, "Okay, I get it." Uh huh. So, yeah, and I mean, like the whole time, you just feel this like tug of love between the two of them, and if not love, like a deep emotion of like pain. And like unresolved feelings. See, the thing is, I wanted more from him. Like, I got so much from her. And then it made sense that they were trying to avoid each other for a while. And that even when they were forced to like occupy space together, they were that they were still trying to avoid each other. But like, it's like, oh, he was talking shit about Louisa. So that means he loves me. I mean, like, I'm really simplifying the conversation, but she like inferred from how he was speaking to her that he's in love with her again, kind of thing. And like, that wasn't enough for me to feel it coming from him. I think, I th- I think we have to depend so much on Anne being a reliable narrator mm. because I think like we've seen a lot of unreliable narrators. Mm-hmm. I think even, um, even Elizabeth to a degree in Pride and Prejudice is unreliable Mm -hmm. because she doesn't even know her own emotions that well. Mm -hmm. But Anne does like Anne is able to look pretty evenly at herself and the people around her. And so I feel like in this case, it's, it's, we're building up a reliable narrator. And so you have to kind of suspend a lot of disbelief. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I mean, I agree. Yeah, another thing, another point too is that like every everybody talks about how great of a guy he is, but we don't really see that at all. He like he we don't have we he's not given the chance to like be a great guy in front of us, the readers, to see it. No, Um, I could have stood to see that a little bit more. I totally agree. I mean, and the other thing that we don't talk about a lot when we talk about this book is like, this is a book with a lot of colonizers in it. Mm -hmm. Um, He's in the Navy and he gets money in the Navy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Anyway, so he earns his money basically by being a pirate. But one of the things that they did during this time period is that they would um, specifically uh, target the Hajj. Mm. Uh, so the, the boats that were coming to, you know, full of like jewels and gems and things, uh, those were up for attack by anybody who was around. Mm. And I don't doubt that Captain Wentworth might have attacked more than a few of those particular prize ships, which is awful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, why not attack people on their way to prayer? I mean, sure they were rich people in some cases, but Jesus Christ, that's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so I love this book regardless, and that was that book. Okay, that was Persuasion. 
Maurice by E.M. Forrester Set in the elegant Edwardian world of Cambridge undergraduate life, the story by master novelist introduces us to Maurice Hall when he is 14. We follow him through the public school of into Cambridge and into his father's firm. In a highly structured society, Maurice is a conventional young man in almost every way, except that he is homosexual. Written during 1913 and 1914, immediately after Howard's End, and not published until 1971, Maurice was ahead of its time in its affirmation that love between men can be happy. Quote, happiness, Forrester wrote, is keynote. In Maurice, I tried to create a character who is completely unlike myself, or what I suppose myself to be. Someone handsome, someone healthy, bodily attractive, mentally torpid, and not a bad businessman, rather a snob. In this mixture, I draped an elegant, uh, I, I draped an ingredient that puzzles him, wakes him up, torments him, and finally saves him. I mean, that's not much of a synopsis, but that's what's on the back of my book. <laughs> uh, Neil, is that what this book is about? I mean, more or less. Yeah. So we we follow Maurice Hall through several points in his life, namely, like, as he's about to finish uh, public school, which in the UK means something different than it does here in the US. Um, and then some of his time at Cambridge and then his his early adulthood and his I think he's like 24 by the end or something. Um, and <laughs> something <laughs> I love about this book, <laughs> it, every chance it gets, it's like, listen, reader, reader, Maurice, he's stupid. <laughs> he's a dumb, dumb, dummy. <laughs> um, so there are all these moments like in in the earlier parts of the book because this book is is broken into four parts um it takes him a while to like 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 when clive is like i'm in love with you but doesn't actually say i'm in love with you he's like this is how i say i'm in love with you and it takes maurice like a week to be like what did he how the oh that's what he said how do i feel about oh but he's the Oh, I'm in love with him, too. Oh, shit. Now he's mad at me. It's been too long. <laughs> Basically. I I mean, also, like, he said some ter terrible things right after that. But yeah. um, I, I also, like, there's, there's a moment where Clive uh, is talking to him about religion. And Clive is like, I mean, no, I don't believe in the Christian God. I've decided to go all in on the Greeks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> For a lot of reasons, most of them sexy. And... <laughs> <laughs> and and like they're having these deep talks about religion and like Maurice is just holding on. He's like, no, the triad the triad's important. The three, the three. And and Clive is like, dude. And underneath it all, he just wants to say, dude, we're gay. <laughs> we cannot be gay in Christian religion. Do you not get that? But he doesn't say it, mm -hmm. but you can feel it just underneath. Mm -hmm. And like, but he like takes all of Maurice's arguments and just like takes them apart. And nobody would ever done that with Maurice before. Mm -hmm. And so for the first time he's really confronted with, he's like, I really, I don't think I believe any of this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and Clive is like, yeah, bro, you don't. 
and and Maurice is like, oh shit, mm-hmm. and it like blows his goddamn mind, and and like that's like amazing. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing moment where he's just like, oh, I'm so middle class, and Clive is like, you are. <laughs> yeah, the the. A lot of this book is like, oh, yeah, society wants him to be stupid because that means he'll just sort of go with the flow. And it's constantly um, reiterated that he, he's he been he, coming from the middle class. He's been trained his whole life, and it's really easy for him to sort of fall back into this sort of just like kind of stupor where you just you don't really question anything. You don't raise any alarms you don't make any waves and you just kind of go with the flow and there's this part that was really lovely because of course he studied greek in school because it's the 1910s and when he's graduating he was picked to give this speech and everybody clapped and it's like the greek was terrible but everybody clapped not because he was good but because he was just so very like what was expected yeah um it says like um I, I really like this line. It was like, he was utterly average. He was nice. He was good. He was like every other boy who was also nice and good and was also learning. He was trying hard, but not too hard. He cared, but not too much mm-hmm. or something like that. And then it ends with, he was the type of boy that was the backbone of, of English public school system. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it, it's interesting to read because I think more modern or more contemporary narratives, especially American narratives with queer people. It's sort of like, Oh, well, I always had this feeling that I was different, which is true. I mean, like that is a true experience, but like, that's the, that's the, the predominant narrative that we see uh, now. So I thought it was just very interesting to read. It's just like, he had no idea because he had been trained to not question or contemplate anything. So when he gets to Cambridge and he meets uh, Clive and Clive is just like, let me introduce you to what the Greeks were really about, which of course is also a lot of queer men's entree into queerness is the Greeks, uh, the classical Greeks. Um, and then they, they realize that they love each other and they have this very sweet. And then also we find out after the fact, chaste relationship. Um, and I think what's interesting too. So okay, they they're a thing, and Clive's like, "Yeah, fuck the system. We're in love. Everything's great." But then it gets to a point where he starts sort of like pushing back against the relationship, and I think part of it is because of where <laughs> classical Greeks stand. I mean, especially at the time in the in contemporary imagination was very academic and by so then by extension clive's love was academic it was of it was philosophical it was rebelling against ideas and it had absolutely nothing to do with his body it it was all of the mind so then when he gets terribly ill and clive is there and helps take care of him and like you know, helps him when Clive is suffering from this really terrible bout of diarrhea. And Clive is like, oh, it's terrible. This is the worst thing that could possibly happen. And um, Maurice is like, it's fine. You're you're sick. This happens. And I'm here to take care of you. Like, like That's what we're for. 
So then Clive is like, I have to go to Greece now. And he has this thing. He has to go. Even though he's still terribly ill, he's like, I have to go to Greece by myself. And he has this realization in Greece, surrounded by classical Greece, the Greek antiquities, like the the impetus of his rebellion against Christianity and straightedness is that he's actually straight now. And part of me is like, okay, like, I understand that up until very recently, and then continuing on, but it's like, oh, sudden emotions, sudden things that, like, are not even hinted at, but, like, characters have these emotions or realizations for the drama of it, and, you know, in... Romantic with a capital R. It's about like the suddenness of, ah, now I'm struck with this feeling and it's the deepest feeling I've ever felt, et cetera, et cetera. And like, I understand that. Um, But then at the same time, it's like, I don't like that there's a character who's just like, I'm straight now. I don't, I mean, yeah, I get that. Uh, It didn't seem sudden to me though. What, the way I read it, so a lot of their love affair happens after Cambridge. So, mm-hmm. so during Cambridge is when it gets started, mm-hmm. and um, again, it's a very chaste love affair, in that they do kiss. They kiss, and that's about it. And that's about it. But after they get out of Cambridge, um, and they both have to go to their respective lives. Mm-hmm. So Clive is. I don't know the son of you know he's he's practically a lord or something. He's a he's a country lord. Yeah, so he's got a huge estate, and he's that that's his job is to take care of the estate and the village and the village and all of that. Um, whereas Maurice, being very middle class, like he's going to go into the law firm his father founded. <laughs> um, I think it was investment banking or something. Yeah, but it's. We, Spoiler, Clive gets married when he's talking to the wife and he's saying all these terrible things about poor people. And Anne's like, this guy's an asshole, but the exact kind of person I want in charge of my money. I thought that was really (laughs) hilarious. Um, So, yeah, so he goes off to do financial things and the family all like for three years, there's sort of an understanding because Clive has an apartment in London. Mm -hmm. And there's an understanding among both families that both men spend Wednesday and the weekend in London. (laughs) Mm Because they're best friends. And, and like they're, among like Maurice's family, they're like for thirty years. <laughs> they have a joke. They're like nobody mess with Maurice's Wednesday nights and weekends. <laughs> he a, hates he's a that. Man of habit, you can't shake him from his Wednesday nights in, in the city. So because he lives in uh, Maurice lives in the suburbs too, so right. he has to go into town as well. Yeah, and I think so. For those three years, they're celibate except for kissing, and mm-hmm. I think they and cuddles. They they don't share a bed. Maurice has his own bedroom. Yeah. That blew my mind until it talks about it a bit later. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway. So I, th- I think they deal, do deal cuddles and maybe oh, some yeah, dancing yeah. and stuff. Um, and that's kind of how I think Maurice expects to live the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't question it. It says in the narrative that he would have been happy with that if that's what Clive had asked of him. Right. But so then when we move to Clive's perspective, and so we get a lot of Clive growing up and what it was like for him, he kind of had started to feel this way midway through this two or three years. Like Mm. he wasn't, and he started to question if his choice of them remaining celibate 
was a choice that he was making on purpose Mm -hmm. or if it was a choice that he was making like he'd always made that choice because he thought that's how men who loved each other were forced to live Mm -hmm. you're forced to be celibate and he thought this is what celibacy meant and then through a deeper reading of the greeks as you say and through going to greece he Mm -hmm. sort of realized oh no (laughs) (coughs) yeah there's more and i'm actually not as interested in that Mm -hmm. part and i think because of and we we learn early on like once we know that he's got penge like this big estate which Mm -hmm. is falling apart which is very much like a symbol of England and English society mm-hmm. that they're that the people who are upholding England and English society, i.e. Penge are people like Clive who are lying, lying mm-hmm. to themselves, lying to everybody around them and that they are forcing themselves to be something that they're not that Clive may be bisexual. He may not be bisexual. (laughs) He may be asexual. Mm -hmm. He may be homosexual. It doesn't matter. He makes a choice at some point that, like you said, of the body, that things that are of the body are too complicated for him and he Mm -hmm. doesn't want to live that way. It's too much for him. He want, and he does not want to reject society as the way he thought he did. Mm -hmm. So like you said before, it's less that he's thinking about, I'm just straight now. That's how, um, that's how Maurice perceives it. And Maurice perceives it as, I'm just straight now, where I think Clive was going through this particular crisis for a while. And that this is, and that it started to come out when Maurice actually got sick. And he realized he himself didn't want to be there for Maurice. Mm. And then when he got sick and he was embarrassed by his own bodily functions, but Maurice wasn't, he realized Maurice was loved him more than he loved Maurice. Mm -hmm. And that was also painful. And so then it was, then there was the meanness and Mm -hmm. the, the not liking each other. And I think in some ways there was a natural breakup of this relationship that could Mm -hmm. have happened, but that Clive didn't understand what this relationship even was and never Mm -hmm. questioned it really, really. Mm -hmm. So then he became mean and cruel. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I do agree with all those points. It's just that when Clive has this realization that he isn't in love with Maurice, that he wants to marry a woman, et cetera, et cetera. Like we are in his head at the moment. And I think it's simply because for some silly reason, the argument still exists out there that like sexuality is a choice. I'm just like hypercritical of moments like this where we see a character decide that, no, that they aren't queer. And I just like the moment to me could have done with a bit more nuance to have us to, to like really draw attention to, Oh, either it he's, it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. And so it was like, it was tied to his rebellion against his parents and Christianity. And so he realized that it was disingenuous or more along the lines of like, Oh, this he's making this choice to act against his nature. Like he's, he's choosing to marry a woman and be what society 
wants of him instead of and like i don't have the passage in front of me but it was very much like oh this is what he was now so in any case um so then clive breaks up with maurice and then he gets married and then clive is the worst ex ever (laughs) he's the kind of ex that's like oh yeah i've moved on so we can be friends now i broke up with you and i've moved on so we can be friends now and now i'm married and you're the immature person to have not moved on yet oh meanwhile like maurice is full-on thinking of suicide yes and he's like well I'm obviously a homosexual man. I mean, he's not saying that in his head because he doesn't know the word. He doesn't know the word at all. Mm -hmm. Literally doesn't. He learns the word later. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he's just like, well, I love men. I have tried to think about women that one time. (laughs) It didn't work out. (laughs) And it's like when he was a boy, and one of the very first things we see is when he's like the teenager at 14 who's Mm -hmm. leaving this one school to go to the other school. And his teacher takes him out to to give him the birds and the bees talk and like draws diagrams in the sand of sex and like what's happening and 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 even then like our young man is just looking at it going well i don't relate to any of this at all this this doesn't seem right this doesn't seem mm -mm, Mm -mm. nope Nope. don't understand that (laughs) and so now he knows that more that he's now been in love with a man for so long and he's like I just, I'm not going to be able to do any of those sand drawings. I'm gonna, I mean, maybe Clive can't. And he considers it. He's like, I guess I got to marry a lady. I guess I just got to pick one and make a go of it. Yeah. He also uh, ends up, I'm like broad brushing the, the plot a lot. Cause it, there's a lot of like little business that happens. Um, and then a lot of like habitual things that happen over a period of time. Um, so then he decides to go to a hypnotist to make him straight. I love this. First of all, that hypnotist is real bad at his job because the first time Maurice goes to see him, he like goes under almost right away. And the hypnotist is like, oh, great. You're very suggestible. Love it. Love it. Love that about you. And then he, you know, does this stuff and he's like, oh, look at this beautiful, this painting of this beautiful woman. And Maurice is like, no, it's a very attractive man. He's like, no, 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 it's a beautiful woman, don't you see? And there is no painting, so he's hypnotized, so he's like seeing this painting. Maurice is like, no, 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 it's a man, right? What? So he he feels sort of invigorated by the success of his first time at the hypnotist. And he's like, oh, this is working. Everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be wonderful. He has some realizations about himself and about Clive. And he's like, I'm fucking over Clive. Clive is an asshole. Meh. And then he goes back to the hypnotist again. And it doesn't work immediately. And the hypnotist is like, well, I've done all I can do. <laughs> the whole, the second time he wasn't able to, the, the first time he wasn't able to hypnotize him, which was on only the second meeting, the hypnotist is like, there's no helping you. There's nothing we can do. I'm like, well, way to give up, asshole. But you know what? In this case, go. Yes, that's what we want to have happen. But what I loved about the hypnotist is this <clears throat> is the first person who Maurice could talk to about being who mm-hmm. he was and the hypnotist is the one that was like oh you're a homosexual yeah and he's like oh that is too big a word for that <laughs> like that feels like a terrible disease and i don't want to be that <laughs> and it it actually was really perfect because the hypnotist was very uh 
I don't want to say clinical, but just very matter of fact about everything. And he also didn't care. Yeah. I mean, so like that Maurice was able to talk through it without. I mean, there was implicit judgment because the hypnotist is like, we need to fix you. But it was just it was it. it, it the hypnotist approached it as any as as like a cold, like, oh, you have a cold. And now these are the things that we do so that you don't have the cold anymore. And then you are happy. And so it was kind of perfect that the first person that Maurice was able to talk to about this was just like, mm-hmm, go on. Yes. Yes. I've heard that from a lot of my patients. Yes. Yes. Your experience is not is not unusual. You you share experiences with other people out there. So it was exactly really what Maurice needed to hear and to like needed that situation to be that he could just sort of talk through it and take his dumb, dumb brain enough time to like talk through it without any of the emotions or the judgment happening that he's like. Yeah, I want to fuck dudes. Yeah, and like, to be very clear about it. So like, the first time he goes to the hypnotist, it's very much like, I want to be fixed. I want to be fixed. I want to be fixed. And then they have the hypnotist section, section and he leaves. He's like, okay, I'm on the road to wellness. But also I feel really clear. Like, mm-hmm, I don't, mm-hmm. like he feels a weight lifted off. Just like we all do after we leave a therapist's office the first time that we've relieved ourselves of a burden that we mm-hmm. were carrying. And he's kind of able to like move through the world. He's able to recognize this about Clive. But he's also an open wound, like mm-hmm. we all are when we leave the therapist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like a lot of stuff gets to him and he's like, oh, I thought I was better. And he goes back and he tells the therapist everything it's again. And the therapist is again, like not therapist. I shouldn't hypnotist. say hypnotist, but he acts so much like a therapist. He, yeah, but he's of. not. He's not. He really is clearly not the hypnotist. And the hypnotist is pretty much like, well, you can move to France. You can move to France or Italy. It's not illegal there. Yeah, that's... I, I've done all I can do for you. Move to France, maybe. And, 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 and Maurice is like, wait, really? There are countries where it's not illegal to have for two men to have sex with each other. And the hypnotist is like, yeah. So if that's what you want to do, Maurice is like, oh, but I like England so much. Um, yeah, he's like, but I am a dyed-in-the-wool Englishman. But I am so <laughs> very British. Um, and that's when he meets Alec. <laughs> well, he meets Alec between the sessions. Yes. Um, um, well, that's when he fucks Alec. <laughs> yes. And so, it, so this is the first time he's had sex with another man. So Alec Scudder is... Clive's groundskeeper. Yes. So it's especially naughty because he's of the working class. Um, and so throughout the book, Maurice has these like sort of, I, there's sort of like episodes where he, he's like, he has these sort of like quasi prophetic visions while he's asleep of just like, oh, there's this person out there for me, etc. And it and it always causes him to like run to a window in the middle of the night and scream out somebody's name or scream out the word come as in like come to me, friend. He has this idea of like there's someone out there who's who's my friend and 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 we care for each other and we protect each other because we are each other's friends and that's what we are to each other. So one night he's at Clive's house. He, he, it's the middle of the night and he leans out the window and he yells, come. And then he like comes to himself and he's like, that's a very bizarre thing I just did. I should probably go back to bed. And then there's a ladder, uh, at his window because the staff is doing work on the outside of the building. And then he sees the ladder kind of wiggling and he's like, what is that? And then a sense, a very young, attractive man is inside his bedroom and then they fall. 
joke. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much just like, oh, I'm here. And he's like, yep. Which, <laughs> not going to lie, all, all the years that I had a fire escape outside my bedroom window, I'm just like, wouldn't it be great if not some stranger, but like that attractive guy I was super into just like one night, just climbed up the fire escape and right into my bed. I mean, have you yelled come out your window i haven't well see that's the problem well because from my very first apartment the only people that would have come was the fucking raccoons that lived in my ceiling i'm still gonna say i think you should try it tonight (laughs) 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 if if one of the apps dings immediately after you do that Uh uh-huh i'm gonna say everybody should do it (laughs) Uh, i'll try it i'm not gonna try it but anyway so he has sex with the young alec so he has sex with alec and then immediately he's like that was that was a bad idea that was a terrible idea well i love the transition of this though because the very first thing is that was the best idea ever (laughs) oh oh that's what they do with each other and he's absolutely like Clive and I should have been much busier. <laughs> That's when we find out that they didn't fuck for three years. And it's just like, right. oh, I see. Um, but then he goes back home and he's like, fucking shit. This guy's going to blackmail me. I'm going to be ruined in society. And I'll I'll go to jail. Very legitimate concerns. And then he gets a letter. There's even res- uh, references to the Oscar Wilde trial. Yes. So... And then he gets a letter from Alec that's like, come meet me in the boathouse, please. And Maurice is like, I really fucking want to, but I shouldn't. So I'm not going to. And in fact, I'm not going to reply to this text. I am going to ghost this person. (laughs) I just need to bounce. So then he gets another letter a little bit later that Alec is basically like, okay, listen, I know that you're like fancy and all that, but you still can't treat me like this. I'm going to be in town. And if you don't come and see me and talk about this, then I'm going to go to Clive about this. And Maurice is like, Oh fucking fuck. So then they meet and then they're like, Oh, but we are really hot for each other. Well, kind of what I love about that meeting is like, cause then Maurice has the second session that goes so poorly mm-hmm. or well, really, when you think about it, well, it goes really us. well. And he, he leaves that session and he's like thinking clearly again because he got so much off of his off of his chest. And he's like, okay, here's the thing. I'm going to be homosexual for the rest of my life. Um, that doesn't mean I have to treat people badly. Mm-hmm. Like I've treated my mother and my sister, sisters appallingly. I should probably chill out or leave them. <laughs> or go to France, maybe. And, and he kind of like, you know what? Maybe none of this life is for me. And then he's like, wait a minute. If there's such a possibility as two men falling in love with each other, what the fuck is the class system? (laughs) (laughs) It's a house of cards. that all comes tumbling down around. And and honestly, he's like, holy shit. They've built this to keep us in. Oh my God. (laughs) And he's like appalled. He's appalled at everything. And he's like, you know what? Alec might be uh, blackmailing me, but you know what? He's doing it out of fear. Cause guess what? That guy fucked me. So, and, and like, it doesn't make him any less gay. Yeah. Maurice realizes I have more power in this situation. Cause if we go to argue about it, they're going to believe me, not him. 
so the whole thing. So then he um he goes. He goes he and meets goes him. And well, he he. Uh, but no, first he goes to the boat, right? Well, the because because Alec is Alec is about to he's just given notice. Oh no no no! So no no first he meets. You're right. He meets up with Alec in like the London at the like, British Museum. At the British Museum, they meet up there, and he has a very serious talk with Alec. He's like, "You're not going to blackmail me. You think you want to, but it's out of fear." And he's he's kind of a high talker for Alec. Alec is very smart. But he's not Cambridge smart. So he's smart, but not educated. Whereas Maurice is educated, but not smart. Right. So they're actually having a really hard time talking to each yeah. other in a way that's kind of adorable. Um, and Alec admits that he is scared and mm -hmm. he was sad. And he's like, what the fuck, man? Like, I put everything on the line for you. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, I put everything on the line for you, bro. He's like, are you kidding me? What? I have way more to lose than you do. They will transport me to Australia. <laughs> They'll put you in a nice lockup for a little bit. And, and, you know, he's like, okay, okay, okay. And they talk it out. And he's like, stay. Don't go. You have no reason to go. I'll, you know, come and work for me. And he's like, go it's from one master to another. And so then they, they fight about this for a little bit. Mm -hmm. But he offers, he's like, stay. And Alec is like, no. So then he goes to the boat later. Because... Uh, Alec at this point had already given notice because he and his family are moving to the Argentine yeah. to start a new life. So then um, he, Alec tells Maurice, like, this is when I'm leaving. So, goodbye, see ya. And Maurice is like, okay, bye. Oh, no, I should say goodbye for real. I should say goodbye for real. So he shows up at the boat and he meets the family. And then the priest is there. I forget his name. The priest that shows up. And he's just like, what are you doing? And he's like, so just like pompous. Like, I know I've got your number, ducky. Um, that's what a gay guy would say back then. Uh, but the priest is just like so very pompous of like, oh, how did you know his boat was leaving now? What are you coming here? Just, I thought you said you didn't like him very much. But it's like trying to catch Maurice out. And Maurice is like afraid of him. And then he realizes that Alec isn't there and that Alex is staying in England for him. And then he looks at the priest and he's like, you're an asshole. Bye. And then he goes to goes to Penge, Penge to the boathouse to the boathouse. So he find all this time of Alec being like, meet me at the boathouse, meet me at the boathouse, meet me at the boathouse. He finally goes to the boathouse and Alec is like, they're asleep and just like looks very like beautiful. And he wakes him up and, and he's like, oh, so you got my wire. And Maurice is like, what wire and i was like i told you i was staying in to meet me in the boathouse and reese is like yes yes i did i love you it's so romantic it's that so, is romantic so romantic so beautiful and then he goes to talk to clive and and clive is like oh because also he's kept up this this story that he's in love with this woman that nobody knows yet and so it's so funny because he has this realization he's like i could do the most insane things i could freak out the biggest anyone has ever freaked out before but they think because i'm in love with a woman that explains all of it and that's perfectly okay so he goes to talk to clive and he's like i'm not in love with this i i'm not going to marry this woman and clive's like oh no did you have a falling out maybe we can set you up with someone and it's like no i'm not going to marry any woman and clive's well don't be silly <laughs> <laughs> Maurice is like, I'm in love with your groundskeeper. And Clive is like, 
Mrs. Ayers? Yeah. Who's the wife of the head's groundskeeper? Like, he couldn't even think. And he's like, no, it's Alec. I'm in love with... He's like, I'm in love with Scudder. And Clive thinks that Scudder is some, like, euphemism for something and doesn't even realize that it's actually his groundskeeper's, groundskeeper's name. And then Clive is like, well, you're throwing it all away. Blah, blah, blah. And Maurice is like, no, man, you threw it all away. I was so in love with you. And, like, we, whatever, whatever you had wanted, whatever you had asked of me, I would have given it to you only if you had loved me wholly, but you have only ever loved me partially. You've only ever given time for me when it's convenient between your wife and your politics. And you, you could have had, you could have had me, you could have had all of me if you had just loved me as much as I had loved you, but you never did. So see ya, bro. And Clive's like, oh, oh, but I am up for election. And oh, what am I going to do? Um, and that's the end of the book. Yeah, and one of my favorite parts, like Clive starts giving him this big lecture about like what it is to be an Englishman and class and all that. And he's just talking, talking. And he turns around. Maurice has been gone for Maurice, who knows how long. Maurice is, and, he has absolutely, to, to his dying day, he has no idea at what point Maurice left. Right. And on his deathbed, He's because he's like dying and old. Part of him at least thinks maybe Maurice never left and he's always been here. And so there's just that little bit of love, mm -hmm. that little bit of hope and desire that's still mm -hmm. there that only is retained on his deathbed. And it was just like, oh my oh. God. Uh, it's a very beautiful book. And then um, my uh, English lit degree mind kicked into high gear reading this. Because I was like, ooh, if we wanted to, we could look at the very Apollonian versus Dionysian tensions if we wanted to get especially Hellenistic about it. Um, but it was very interesting because um, all things Apollonian, civil, all of that, which it, it was, you know, like British society, the class system, heteronormativity, and then also the Greeks, the classical Greeks for it, it's a, it was a very interesting choice. We're part of this sort of like Apollonian influence of like, no, this is measured and metered and proper and all of that. And then the, the Dionysian elements, like the, the, the everything of the body and of the spirit and of emotion had to do with like the wilds of England they, it keeps mentioning the Greenwood as one word. And like Maurice has this idea of just like he and Alec could just disappear into the woods and, and they could be happy there and they'd be fine. And there are all these really interesting moments. Like there's a part he's, he's out walking around Penge doing some thinking and he like has a realization about himself and he comes back in and Clive's mom is like, Oh, I love your coiffure. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he has like, night primrose pollen all over his hair so he like has become this sort of like wild green man and and then when he's having that last conversation with clive clive can't see him because he's wholly in the dark like he's become this sort of like part of this like nighttime emotive expressive way of being and it was very beautiful and and i i just found it very interesting because, because, like, when it's f fallacious to approach the Greeks academically, because, of course, 
like the classic rookies because they were people so they did feel things and there was very much this idea of the apollonian versus the dionysian or like society and things of the mind versus things of the body and of the heart and of feeling and that was very much built into classical greek society to like allow for both of those things to exist and so i i found it very interesting that in this work when the classical greeks were in entree into queerness for clive and maurice and so many other queer men throughout history that they then became an impediment to maurice realizing his true self and finding love with another man it was and it, it was done very well through no fault of the greeks it was entirely because of clive and society so it was very it was very interesting it was very well done and there were a lot of moments where we see maurice recognizing hypocrisy in society in a way that every marginalized person has seen and recognized so like there are moments that feel very familiar but of course the the prose around them it's just so very beautiful it's a very well written book it's very beautiful and then you know me like i would absolutely love to be standing in a courtyard in the rain at cambridge and then just to like have this revelation and have somebody call my name and yes it's the man i'm in love with and destined to be with and that's what i always wanted from my life and <laughs> maybe i just need to go to cambridge and yell come um i think one of the things i really liked was sort of where self-hate and hate in general is coming from for both men mm -hmm. like there there's a point where for both of them when they're at their happiest in their relationship and they're just going through you know they have their routine that they both begin to hate women mm -hmm. and it's in large part because women represent this part of societal structure that they're rebelling mm -hmm. against specifically so but instead of like you know putting hate on all of society or the church or whatever mm -hmm. they give it all to women so they find women silly and all of their worries are silly and everything that they do is silly and just like even dumb and they hate their mothers and their sisters and it becomes very rough mm -hmm. and very difficult and when clive decides <laughs> that he's not going to be that anymore and he throws himself full wholeheartedly into love of women mm -hmm. But it's all—it's also too much. It also like the way he extols Anne, and the way he mm -hmm. talks about Anne. But we were in their bedroom, we were in their most sacred space together, and they—they obviously do not have these feelings for each other. Mm -hmm. That there is no trust there. There, there is no that they're both faking it. Yeah, and and that that's not any better than like the overt hate. Mm -hmm. And just like when you were talking about like you know, all of those wild Bacchanalian things, the Greenwood and the Green Man, there's, Clive now has a hate for those things. Mm -hmm. So he looks into places in the park where we know <laughs> men gather. Mm -hmm. And he knows that, and he hates them. Mm -hmm. And he has now found reasons to hate all things that are queer. Mm -hmm. And pushes those things away from him, which is why he's so badly wants his friend maurice to become married like and it's so it's so they can be the friends that he wants them to be and not rebel against society that he just he there's just so much hate for that and he pours his hate into it so but as maurice is growing as a human being he finds like places like 
that last confrontation with the priest and he hates the priest and he thinks to himself, I want to kill him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he says it so viscerally. And in the next moment he realizes like how useless that would be mm-hmm. <laughs> that killing this man, there's just more of him, but, but just also that he just doesn't have time for that. If he, if he does, if he kills this priest, he can't run off and find Alec. Mm-hmm. Like, so that when he's finally accepted himself and when he's accepted love and he's realized that they're going to, they're going to have to live in hiding because of the way society is and this is going to be difficult, he still isn't going to have room in his heart for as much hate mm-hmm. as he gave it before. Mm-hmm. And like, because he was cruel and he knows his tendency towards cruelty, he may have to like, back off from his family (laughs) Mm -hmm. but like it's because he doesn't want to be that way towards them and i think that that's really an interesting look at those types of feelings about self Mm -hmm. (sighs) yeah also that last scene where he tells off clive is so satisfactory Uh, so fucking satisfying. satisfying and then clive is left alone in the dark for the rest of his life yep because he's the worst ex ever (laughs) so that was maurice that was that book that was maurice are you ready are you ready okay claire yes are you ready to play fuck my kill I am ready. Do you want to go first? No, you go first, but I want you to know I'm ready. I actually have a list down. <laughs> okay. Claire. <laughs> I'm not writing it as you're talking. Fuck, Mary, kill. Fuck, Mary, kill. Lady Russell, Clive, and Mary. Oh. Oh. Okay. Um... Oh no. Oh no. Okay, well, I'm going to marry Lady Russell because of the three of them, she's the one I would want to, sp- I would be happy to spend more time with. Um, I, I, I'm going to fuck Mary because at least I know she's into that mm-hmm. to a degree. I have doubts about Clive being into it at all with anybody. Yeah. Um, but definitely, Mary at least has had children, so I know she's at least up for something. Um, but also, if we're just fucking, it's just the one time, and I don't really have to listen to her bitch for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm going to kill Clive, because mm-hmm. he's the worst ex ever. Mm-hmm. But also because like the way he controls Maurice... Mm-hmm is really awful and Mm -hmm. like and in the beginning you do see him as sort of like a young man who's naive and fun and sweet and has all these big ideas and he's just you fall in love with him too Mm -hmm. it's so easy to fall in love with cambridge clyde clive but then then you do you look back on it and you realize how much control he had in that whole Mm -hmm. situation and how much he puts Maurice down. And that was part of it when Maurice, oh, this was so satisfying. When Maurice gave his big speech 
um, and realize like, oh yeah, like part of why Clive is so angry right now is that like, I, he, he, he isn't able to exert his mental superiority over me nearly so much, but he's giving the speech and, and Clive is like, who taught you to talk like that? And Maurice is like, well, I suppose you did. I yeah. Like, yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. That was so good. It was very good. Mm. So I'm going to kill him. Okay. Not because I think he deserves killing as a human, but I could not spend yeah. the rest of my life or a, I, or I could not fuck him. <laughs> and I don't think he's good at it. <laughs> um, in fact, I know he's not good at it mm-hmm. because his wife was not interested at all. <laughs> oh great well and i did feel bad because there's in that scene he walks in and he's like all right you ready and she's like for what and he's like oh it's it's time that we you know and she's like "Mm -mm, do what (laughs) and he's like and then he explains he's like well and that was quite a shock to her what we were doing and she was not particularly happy about having done it and then I was like, so are we never going to do that again? She's like, no, I suppose we have to. <laughs> it's like, mm, fair. What an unpleasant evening they, uh, <laughs> they had that night. A good time was had by none. What a shock to her system. Oh, like, I'm sorry, you're going to put what where? <laughs> good thing it wasn't on her foot or she would have broke it. She would have turned off. It reset her. <laughs> anyway, and Neil? Um... I think I'm also going to marry Lady Russell. Uh, she was not great, but she was in the grand scheme of things. She was fine. I'm going to fuck Clive because it's just going to be us like staring at each other for an hour and then we can move on with our lives because he doesn't actually have sex with men. So it'll be fine. And then I'm going to kill Mary. She was insufferable. She was t- completely insufferable. Oof. All right. Fuck, Mary kill uh-huh. these three British pastimes. Mm-hmm. Cricket pitches, mm-hmm. pump rooms, mm-hmm. and uh, music concerts. So a pump room, because we didn't really cover it here, and it may come out of These are in Bath. So Bath is a natural spring. There's mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. spring underground. Um, but in any place where there's like a well or an aquifer or something in England, um, they would often have a pump room. Now, this used to serve sort of like uh, a community thing where people had to go there because they didn't have pipes and that's where they got their water. But Mm -hmm. later it became a a gathering place where there was like in Bath, especially it's like these are healing waters or Mm -hmm. fresh waters. And it's a huge room that literally was just where some of the water came out (laughs) and you would go and like fill up your cup and maybe they had lemonade in addition to the water Mm -hmm. and you would walk around and it was a place you could be social in public Mm -hmm. without in some cases without having to be introduced to people because Mm -hmm. you could just see them if you were you know it would be totally fine for men to walk with women um, unchaperoned because they're in a public place with a ton of people. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like to think of this as a food court almost. <laughs> <laughs> the, what food courts were to our teenagers? Yes. So yeah. that's a pump room, okay. just so everybody knows. And then a concert hall. We mm-hmm. know these concert halls in general. They used to, the, like the ones I'm thinking of that were that were shown in both of these books were much smaller. So they Mm -hmm. were private, more private events, no more than a hundred people were there. Mm -hmm. Um, But you could see like the music just didn't abound. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it was harder to see music um, or to listen to music 
if you had to hope that somebody in your acquaintance was good at the piano mm-hmm. and then somebody else had access to the sheet music <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like oh what a neat music thing that came out <laughs> oh i love this song that's my jam play it again <laughs> it's been my favorite song for the last 30 years because only one new song comes out a year that i know of Right. So yeah. then having access to this was important. Yeah, yeah. And then there's cricket. And there's cricket. So I'm going to fuck the cricket pitch. Not because I'm especially interested in cricket or even understand how it works. Um, but those cricket players are very athletic. Oh, yes. Um, and it's every time I've seen cricket, like up in the stands, it looks fun. Like it's it's. A little, a little classier than baseball, but not crazy like the Derby. So it's just like you go and you just like, it's a, it's a more subdued sporting event kind of thing. And then I'll just wander into the locker rooms and it'll be fine. Um, so I'm going to fuck the cricket pitch. I'm going to marry the concert hall because I do enjoy music. I also love <laughs> that Anne was constantly repositioning where she was sitting in the concert hall because of who she did or did not want to talk to at the moment. So hijinks, love it, love it. And I'm going to kill the pump house. Pump room? Pump? Pump room. Pump room. Not because I hate it, but... It's literally walking around in circles. It's walking around a room <laughs> in circles. And there was no ball that we spent time in and persuasion on. I felt a little cheated. My first Jane Austen and there was no ball. So I, I'm pouring that hate into the pump room and I'm killing it. Well, it's Which is unfair, but that's the game. Anne hated a ball. There were dances. There, there were, were dances. Country dances. There were dances. That she was playing the piano at. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to kill cricket pitches okay um i agree with you lots of handsome things happening mm-hmm. uh, but i also really like this is one of the first british books i think i've ever read that featured a cricket pitch and people were not happy to be there <laughs> nobody was happy to nobody be there. was happy to be there everybody's like this sucks i hate everything about it because it was raining wasn't it well it was also I, it might have been a little drizzly but also because um clive wasn't there because he was out campaigning mm-hmm. so when he came in he'd like pitched one and then left and then uh maurice wasn't happy because he just fucked a servant and did not want to do with his feelings (laughs) so he had a Um, bit of a breakdown alec was unhappy because he was made captain of a team against like the nobleman and which also meant like of course his team was just going to be shit on and he didn't know he was like the best player Mm -hmm. and he didn't know if he was supposed to lose on purpose or not so he was having a shit time and he wanted he's like later we find out he's like i just wanted to wrap my arms around you but i couldn't just do that on the cricket pitch (laughs) (laughs) so everybody was having a shit time at cricket and i kind of appreciated that because in so many books it's like oh and then they have fun they have fun of the cricket with the wicket and the whacket and the hoobly boobly (laughs) <laughs> I don't know cricket. Um, I'm gonna. F- I'm also going to. Uh, I am going to fuck pump rooms, because I'm going to marry. Yeah, the concert. So it's going to be very difficult for you know. So I'm going to fuck a pump room also because that's fucking hilarious to say. That's such a strange sentence you just said. I love it, and then I'm gonna you know marry music because music is great. Yeah, love it, and. Claire, out of all the characters, who would you fuck, who would you marry, and who would you kill? Okay. Um, I think I would marry Charles. 
Musgrove? Musgrove. Mm -hmm. Because he seems super duper nice. Mm -hmm. He was very funny, too. Because, like, he kept teasing. Even though Mary is obviously, like... Oh, such an annoying character he he would tease her he would and like because he knew what she was doing was bullshit so he would just like tease her and like <laughs> flit around her and be silly and i i dug it and he seemed like a really good dad mm-hmm. like he loved his children mm-hmm. um and his family is great yeah like, i wouldn't say great but they were pretty nice no, I'm, but I mean, if you're going to marry into a family, which, I mean, is it going to be the Musgroves or the Elliots? I'd go with the Musgroves uh, every yep, time. <laughs> very true. Very, very true. So, and like, I don't know, like, it seemed like it's fun. And so I think it'd be a good marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Plus, you'd eventually get to move into the manor house. Yes, eventually. I wouldn't be like Mary, though. I wouldn't be a bitch about it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet the, the, so the house that, that Mary and Charles live in is called the cottage i it still has like 12 bedrooms oh 100 percent. yeah no it's, it's called the cottage, cottage ironically yeah um i'm gonna fuck uh went uh you know our captain uh wentworth wentworth captain frederick i'm wentworth. going to fuck him because something about him says he'd be good at it look i'm just gonna climb that tall tree (laughs) and just get on and ride and i'm perfectly happy with that um and i think i am gonna kill oh i am going to kill um cousin elliot that's fair because he's obviously a son of a bitch Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm and neil um i am also gonna marry charles musgrove he was so lovely and yeah that was that fuck it's either going to be captain frederick wentworth or alec i cannot decide i think maybe wentworth because he has all those dark broody feels i feel like it would translate well into the boudoir and they also say he's smart and nice and yeah, good. Yeah, yeah that's what they say i bet he's good at pillow talk oh 100 yeah um, and then I think I'm going to kill Mary. Yeah. Like Mr. Mary. Elliot was terrible. Clive was the fucking worst, but like Mary was just unbearable. Unbearable. <laughs> unbearable. And the books, Claire. Oh, I'm going to marry both these books. Uh-huh. I married these books years ago when I read them. Like <laughs> I've been married to these books. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, I'm obviously going to marry Maurice. It, it's such a, beautiful wonderful book and i and it i we are so lucky that it exists because it was written in 1913 and wasn't published until 1970 and it very easily could have been lost at any point in there and em forster could have decided at any moment that it wasn't worth it could have gone into the fire yeah oh, as so, i'm sure so many of these books have mm-hmm. So it's a it's a beautiful, wonderful book, and a treasure, and a treasure that we're lucky to have, and everybody should read. Um, and then I'm also going to marry um, Persuasion. It's my first Jane Austen. I have now read Jane Austen. <gasps> Yay! Parts of it were parts. Some of those sentences were sentences were a bit of a slog. Um, and I again, like I did want more from Captain Wentworth, just to like get a just for us to see. To be shown what a great guy he is, not just told. Um, but I was 
I knew it was going to be funny. I was surprised by how funny and like the type of funny that it was. Just like and throwing shade this way and that was so good. Uh, growing up, I loved the Disney animated Cinderella. And as I got older, older, I was like, what does that say about me? And then I watched it again. I was like, oh, that bitch is salty and sassy and throws shade at any given moment. And I obviously related to that on a deep level. And I feel that that is true of Anne. And I love that about her. Um, so yeah, these are both fantastic books. And neither of them are terribly long. So just go read them. Yeah. 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 And as much as we do want to kill Mary... Some of the f- best comedic moments do come out of her mouth because she is so awful. She's so awful. She's a, she was a really great character to have in that book. She was, she was. Just unbearable. Like, oh god, she's she's just so funny and like genuinely like says the dumbest, meanest things sometimes and like so she's like nobody understands me nobody is as sick as i ever am nobody's as tired as i am there's a great time they go out to the woods to go for a walk Mm -hmm. and she's like where's louisa and Anne's like i don't know she went with captain wentworth on a walk and and she's like i bet they found a nicer place to sit and it's like i i don't think they did and she's like i bet they did they found a nicer place they couldn't have found that this is a very nice place and she's like nope i gotta go find louisa i gotta find whatever nice place she's sitting and make her not sit there anymore <laughs> there's a part two where louisa and henrietta are like going for a walk and they're like we have to ask mary even though she doesn't we don't want her to be there and then it cuts to mary and henrietta and louisa ask her on the walk and mary's like i don't want to go but i have to say yes so they were all miserable the whole time and Anne is forced to go on a walk she doesn't want to go on because these women won't let her not go because she has to be the go-between because they're the only one who likes they Mm -hmm. like her and nobody else and the narrative is very much like well this is the family dynamic that like you have to do everything together and i'm like i know what that's like anyway listeners go read these books Yay! Are we ready? I'm ready. Are you ready, Christine? I am ready. <gasps> okay. I am ready. It's time for our favorite game. Christine, yes! I will warn you both now, it will not be a very long or fun game to play. It will be very simple and over very quickly. <laughs> So that's what she said. Uh, <laughs> setting up expectations. Oh. I'm excited for the books, but this <laughs> version or this round of Christine guess is not going to be terribly interesting. Okay. So we are reading. I can try to make it interesting. Yeah. I, I believe you. <laughs> I believe you can. Okay. Next time we are reading unexpected treasure, the treasure Hunters series book one by Aiden Willows and Grace Rosada. And Treasure of Love, Love Series Book Two by Scott Scotty Cade. Lottery winners. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How did you know? Great. <laughs> you know, just I'm I'm very intuitive that mm-hmm. way. Is it Treasure it's Hunters? Treasure so because I knew this version of the game wouldn't be very long, I do come with a fun fact about one of our books, Unexpected Treasure, the Treasure Hunter oh. series, book one. Mm-hmm. 
on Amazon, it's like book one of one. I'm like, oh, are we in the middle of the series coming out? No, this book was released in 2017. Ah. So it will only probably ever be book one of one. Aw. So then, because this one has two authors, I'm just assuming they had a falling out. Oh. I don't know if this is true. This is based on absolutely nothing other than me wanting to have a scandal to talk about. Scandal. Okay. Maybe they're traveling the world hunting treasure out there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, thank you, Claire. Well, thank you, Neil. Thank you, Christine. Thank you, thank Christine. You. Thank you, listeners. Thank you so much, listeners. And, of course, um, if you would like to thank us back a little bit, uh, you can go to www.patreon.com backslash fmklitpod. That's P-A-T- R-E-O-N dot com backslash F-M-K-L-I-T-P-O-D. <laughs> Do you remember days when it'd be like www dot or like forward slash forward slash we'd like read out the whole thing? Oh, goodness. Uh, goodbye those days. <laughs> goodbye those days. Uh, so yes, <laughs> listeners, if you are able to support us on our Patreon, we would very much appreciate that. And we've got all kinds of treats on there. Mm-hmm. We've got a couple of treats that you can go on and just get for free so that you can kind of see what's around. But we got a lot of treats that are not for free that we're not going to tell you about because they are secrets. Secrets. Uh, we have a special project coming up that I alluded to earlier during my hot and bother that I'm very excited about. Th- this particular project Claire and I did without letting Christine know. It's a surprise for Christine as well. Secrets. So, <laughs> secrets. <laughs> um, but if you are not able to support us financially, we completely understand. It's rough out there. Um, so have you seen gas prices? Jesus motherfucking Christ. With, with everything, everything prices. Price. Um, so if that's the case, please tell your friends, tell your lovers, rate, review, subscribe, all those great things, just to spread the word. Uh, tell your rich friends about us. Um, yeah. Tell your rich friends to um, help women who are having a hard time getting a getting a hold of baby formula right now so that they can feed their babies, yeah. but then tell them to also donate to our Patreon. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and thank you, authors. Thank you so much, authors. Um, both of you are dead now. Oh. <laughs> but <laughs> they feel our love from beyond yeah. the grave. Yeah. I mean, they don't need it. They're doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, these are classics for a reason, and they're great, and they both have multiple adaptations out there. <laughs> I try to do a nice thing, Claire. Anyway. <laughs> I guess we... All we have left to say is that if you can do so safely and consensually and in a pump room and with love in your heart (laughs) and primrose pollen in your hair. Mm. So sexy. Keep 